0: This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to
1: oneandall.media. You know, I've not caught the patience virus yet. I just don't have it. But according to the Bible, patience is a deliberate action by you, and it comes as a result of something very important in the Scripture, and it's that big word called humility
0: Today. today. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. My name is Bill and today Pastor Jeff is preaching about waiting on God from the book of Habakkuk. It's part of the Blessed Life series. Most of us have come to a point in our life where we're frustrated by waiting on answers from God or we're waiting but we don't know what the Lord's will is In this message, Pastor Jeff is looking at Habakkuk and his back-and-forth dialogue with God. Here's Pastor Jeff with more.
1: in Habakkuk chapter two. You might have to go into the index to try to find out where that is in your Bible, but it is a little book of three chapters and it's a great little book. And as we make our way through the message, you're going to discover why it is that we decided to approach this text. We're in a series called the blessed life. And here's what we've said. We've said that most of us want more than anything else for God to open the windows of heaven and pour out his blessings on us. We've also said that the number one image Jesus uses in the Bible to describe God is a father who desperately wants to bless his children. And so many of us, man, there's some area of our life we just wish God would open the windows of heaven and pour out his blessing. Whether it's on our marriage or our finances, we spent three weeks talking about that. Uh, it, It might be our children who are estranged from us. God somehow provide a road, make a deep and wide road, make it clear, give them the courage to come back to the family. It could be some of, uh, I've met a lot of people this year and the last year who uh, want to be young mothers, want their blessed life would be, would look something like this. God would open up their womb and allow them to have a child, the first child. They desperately want children. So that's the blessed life. The point is for a lot of us, it's not more money that we're looking for, is it? It's something specific that we've cried out to God about. And we're we're struggling because the Bible makes it clear that God is our father, that he loves us, he's on our side, he's pulling for us, and he wants desperately to give good gifts to his children. The Bible says that numerous times, but then we come to a point or a season of our life where we're crying out and he's just not delivering. Habakkuk is in the same exact situation we are. He's so frustrated with God, there's only three chapters. And chapter one basically is this, God, what's up with you? That's what the first step, there you go, I just gave you a summary of chapter one. Why are you doing this? And he basically says something like, you know, why are you allowing all this to happen? This is not the God I know, this is not the God I've heard about. You're a father who wants to bless me, while I'm waiting, here I am, pour out your blessings. Now, do you know what God's answer is? His answer is this, Habakkuk, it's going to get worse for you. Yeah, I'm going to bring the Babylonians in. So you think it's bad now. That's God's answer when you say, why God? And then Habakkuk, in his frustration, responds. And here's what he says. But God, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? He's talking about the Babylonians. Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Now, have you ever find yourself in a situation when you're praying, and you've been praying for a long time, that you find it's, it's important enough for you to remind God who he is in case you forgot? <laughs> and Habakkuk says, you, you, your eyes are too pure to look at evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Have you ever said, God, you know, you're, you're good. You're powerful. And you are a God of radical, in fact, staggering generosity. And of course, God is up in heaven saying, yeah, I forgot. You're right. So I better take care of this. So, God listens to Habakkuk, and God responds by saying this. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. And he says in the next part, though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Now, you're not going to like this. I want to tell you right now. When I was a little boy... I, this, is, this is supposed to be a, a true story, okay? This is, what my aunt, th- this is what my aunts and uncles told me. I, I don't remember it. I have to tell you. But they told me when I was a little boy, and I did not get what I wanted, that I would do these funny things with my feet. Now, I don't remember it. I'm just saying. But they told me that if, if mom said no or my dad said no, that I would kind of run in place and demand that I get what I'm asking for. So I do something like this. I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it, okay? Now, what's really cool about that, see, most people, you don't like seeing your senior pastor behave that way, do you? Get over it. So a couple of weeks ago, something interesting happened, and I can't remember what service it was in, but evidently there was a slide. Sometimes I get a little frustrated when the slide doesn't come up on the right time. And uh, evidently, in one of the services a couple of weeks ago, a slide didn't come up at the right time, and I went like that. And uh, the crowd laughed. It dawned on me that that probably came all the way back from my childhood and my aunts and uncles were right. And the reason I tell you that is, I don't know how you are with patience and waiting, but I can't stand those type of platitudes where people say stuff like, hey, what doesn't kill you make you stronger? Well, how about I take you behind a woodshed and smack you around a little bit and you tell me if it makes you strong? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I don't like those kind of things. I don't like that kind of thing where I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. And I've always been like that. It's my personality. But I'm hoping, I'm hoping through this text and through this passage that I'll get better at it, and that you'll get better at it, because there's, there's such a precious treasure in these few verses that Habakkuk writes, because the first thing you have to do when you don't feel the blessed life has come your way is wait, and you got to wait patiently. Now, nobody likes to do that, and I can't describe to you the... The intensity of this word in Hebrew that's translated weight. it's actually our English word for patience, but it still doesn't do it justice. And the only way I can find to describe what we're talking about is through my dog Milo. My dog Milo's favorite snack is a hot dog, especially Hebrew <coughs> national hot dogs but he knows he's not allowed to cross the border of my leg until I give him permission. I want you to notice a few things. He just barks. He wags his tail. He moves in a little closer, but he knows he can't cross the border, but he doesn't go away. He waits patiently. He talks to me. He's speaking. Give me the hot dog if you can't translate. And then finally, finally, he knows what gets me every time. He stands up. He gets the hot dog. Now, that is the best way I can describe to you what this (laughs) Hebrew word means. It means that you don't go away and you don't stop asking and you don't give up and you don't abandon your post. It just means that you wait and you wait and you wait patiently for the revelation the Bible says will be revealed. In other words, there will come a time when you'll see exactly why God took you through this season of your life. Now for a lot of us, here's what we say, here's what we say. We say, well, you know, patience is just not something I have, Pastor Jeff. As if it's a germ you can catch. You know, I've not caught the patience virus yet. I just don't have it. But according to the Bible, patience is a deliberate action by you, and it comes as a result of something very important in the scripture, and it's that big word called humility. Look over at James 4. Here's a passage with which most of you are familiar. He says, now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? Why? Do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? You don't. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Now, here's the message of the Bible concerning patience. This is, this is worth a millennium here. Stay with me here. When you're going through a season of your life and you're not being blessed and you feel like the blessing isn't coming, because I want to tell you something. The one thing I want more in my life than the blessed life is to respond well when the blessed life doesn't come. I want the blessed life and I'll always ask for it. But the one thing I want more than that, and I can't say that 10, 20 years ago, but the one thing in my life now, I'm starting to understand that I want more than the blessed life is to respond well when it doesn't come. And the Bible says, here's how you do that with patience. And here's how you have patience with humility. Basically, the Bible teaches this in order for you to wait patiently on God in seasons of difficulty, you got to learn something. You've got to learn to surrender your own sense of omniscience. You got to get to the point where you admit you don't know how everything's going to turn out because you're not God. Because here's what happens in your head. Something bad happens in your life and you think, okay, that happened. Oh, then that's going to happen. And then that might happen. And then, and then if that happens, it's all over. But you don't know every step of the way because you're not God. God is trying to say to you, stop that. Wait patiently because you don't know how it's all going to turn out. You're not God. Surrender your own sense of omniscience. I know exactly what I'm doing. Now, you think about this just for a second. That's what happens with us. We say, if A happens, then B might happen, then C might happen, then D. Look, look, I've been sharing. I told you I wasn't going to talk much about my anxiety disorder anymore, so you, but you knew that wasn't truthful. You knew that was going to happen. And so I want to tell you, ever since I came out that weekend, I don't know, about a year or so ago, that I struggle with anxiety disorder, I, I cannot go anywhere. Anymore without somebody coming up and saying, Pastor Jeff, I'm going through a difficulty and I think it's anxiety disorder. Can you talk to me? Now, I don't mind that because I believe God sent me through this to be able to minister and love people who are experiencing the same thing. I have no qualms about that. I go to Target, I'm at McDonald's, I was at a wedding this past week at Wanda. Wherever I am, somebody walks up to me and describes those feelings. You know what I've learned? This is an epidemic. I mean, there's a lot of people suffering this. Now, let me show you, let me talk to you about a commonality. Even though anxiety disorder, I believe, has a lot to do, and it's very similar to depression, and where there are some chemical imbalances that have to be taken care of, I believe that. But let me tell you a commonality I've learned with people with anxiety disorder they're like me. You know what that means? They're just a little bit too excited about everything, (laughs) and they want to control their lives. They want everything to go. They go. I can do that, and I can do that, and I'll do that, and I'll do that. And the problem is, these type people who think they got to have everything sorted out. You know what they do when something happens in their lives? The mind starts turning. Oh, if this happens, then that's going to happen, and that's going to happen, and that. That's exactly what happened in my first anxiety attack, and it just made it worse. Here's what happened. I don't feel well. I think I'm having a heart attack. My mom died of a heart attack. It could be my turn. I'm too young. I've got a long life to live. What if I die? My children will weep and cry in the streets. My wife will never remarry. She'll never find anybody like me. And then, <laughs> and then I wonder if my life insurance policy is paid up. And what will happen to Milo? You know, so here's what happens. <laughs> you get this in your mind where you're thinking all these things are, no wonder you're having an anxiety attack. The mind can't deal with all those things at once. And what the Bible says, if you're going to be able to wait patiently for the revelation to come and for clarity to come when you don't feel like you're experiencing the blessed life, surrender your own sense of omniscience, man. Give it up. Don't try to play out what everything's going to happen. Take one day, 24-hour period at a time, man, and trust the Lord. When I was at Savannah, Georgia, in my ministry there, Every month, I'd literally sit there on the front row and I'm thinking, okay, God, you know, I know this is not where I'm supposed to be. God, I know you have something for me, but I was so impatient. I wanted to find out now. I wanted to know now. That's what you, you want God to give you kind of his plan for the future all at once. You know, we, we we often say I'd be able to take the what if I understood the why doesn't work like that with God day by day, 24 hour periods. But folks, there were three jobs I almost accepted before I came here, and I only tell you that because of this. I would have missed living in the promised land. I mean, <laughs> this is the land of golf man. I mean, I could have been stuck in the Midwest somewhere where they just put the golf clubs up from like October to April because it's too, too, too stinking cold. Think of what I and I miss knowing you, and I miss California. We love California, my wife loves it, my kids, we love it. What would I have missed? If I'd have gone ahead and said, God, I'm tired of waiting on you. I'm impatient. I can't wait for the revelation to come. And you take control of your own life. You make a bad decision that impacts the rest of your life. Here's the point. When you're in a position where you feel like the blessed life is not yours, that's the time to wait and wait patiently and give up this idea that you know how everything's going to turn out if you don't take control. Now, here's what William Cowper said. He was one of the great hymn writers. He said, blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his works in vain. That means you're trying to figure out what God's doing. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. So you got one of two choices. When the blessed life, what you think you need or desperately want, is not coming your way, you can either flail around and become one of those, what we call an HMP. Do you know what that is? A high-maintenance person. Also known as EGR, Extra Grace Required. And those are the kind of people that every time you see them coming, you know it's going to be an hour and a half conversation about how miserable their life is. And so it's okay for the first few times. And then after that, you just kind of look for an exit. You can either be that kind of person where you become bitter, that you don't have what you think you deserve and that God's not giving you, or you can surrender your own omniscience, wait on God for the revelation to come. Now, that's why I love Habakkuk, but look what happens next. Not only do you wait patiently with humility but you wait with perspective Now i'm about to read to you two little verses out of habakkuk that we could take months to go through but we're going to do it as fast as we can here's what he says okay then god now this is his response okay god if that's what you say that it's going to get worse then here's what i'm going to do i will stand at my watch and stand myself on the ramparts now ramparts in the NIV is it's okay translation but it's more tower now do you know why they built towers in the old testament right why So they could run up to defend the city. They could look at the enemy who's coming, right? Or bad weather or emissaries or messengers. They wanted to see what was coming so they could be prepared. But the other reason they built the towers or what we call the ramparts was so that they could also see their reinforcements behind the gate. In other words, if you were a little depressed and you heard the enemy was coming, you'd just run up to the top of the tower and say, man, look at the enemy. He's coming. But wow, look at what they're going to face when they open the gate to the city. They're gonna get a rude awakening. They're gonna have the surprise of their life when our army comes out and takes them. Now, here's what Habakkuk is saying spiritually. He's saying the only way you can survive when the blessed life is not coming your way and you wanna respond better to God, you gotta run up in the tower. You gotta to stand on the ramparts and you gotta see what's coming. You gotta put your problem in perspective with everything you know to be true about God. Did you hear that? you got to put whatever it is you're facing in the perspective of everything you know to be true about God. I met someone who did this better than anybody I've ever met, and she's only 15 years old. How many of you remember my friend Adriana? It's been a while since I talked about her. I was thinking a lot about her this week. And as I brought this message, her mom was sitting right on the third row last night. And I thought, man, God, that is so like you to give me this message. And maybe it was just for her encouragement. Let me remind you, those of you who don't know Adriana, she got a disease when she was like 13. And it's a disease that you usually don't get. It's very rare in young people, but it is uh, somewhat uh, common in old, old people where everything just starts hardening till even your internal organs harden and then you die because everything shuts down. She got that at 13 years old. Imagine being told that. She went through bone marrow transplants, she went through chemo, she went through everything. And one day she came to her mother, and anybody who knew Adriana knew that she never once complained. Never once. And I mean, this was a tough life, and one day she came to her mom and said, Mom, let me go home to be with Jesus, please. No more of this and that and the machines. Just let me go home to be with Jesus. They'd bring her in on a wheelchair, and she would sit right up here on the front on Sunday nights. I got really close to her, just at her house speaking, because she was so compelling. Surely you're going to complain about something, but she just didn't complain. And our worship team would go over there sometimes and just sing by her bedside. In the last few weeks of her life, she just kept this smile on her face. She was in enormous pain. But she had this incredible smile, I'm going to be with Jesus. She actually, one time when I was seated by her bed, I prayed with her and I said, hey, how are you doing? She goes, I'm okay. I just want to see Jesus. And I said, okay, that's great. She goes, well, what's taking them so long? I said, what, do you want to die? And she goes, yes, of course. Irene, another lady who was fighting cancer, came to see Adriana. And I don't know why, maybe just to comfort her, maybe to get some of that that, uh, positive kind of vibe from her that there's something beyond. Irene was a great woman. She struggled a lot with her cancer. She did die a few months after Adriana died. Irene came over to see her. She turned to walk out of the room, and Adriana said, Wait, Irene, she said, I'll see you on the other side. And Irene just stopped. Two different people facing death two different ways. Do you know what Adriana was doing? She was doing the same thing the Apostle Paul was doing. You think he lived a tough life? I mean, come on. Yeah, sure, he lived lived a blessed life, but he knew God, but he was shipwrecked. He was thrown out of the cities. He had an eye disease. He was so ill most of the time he had to travel with a physician by the name of Luke who ends up writing the book of Luke and the book of Acts, the history of the early church. The guy was scourged. If you ever saw the, the Passion, you'll know what scourging is like. How did he deal with it? By Romans 8, he writes this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. This is an accounting term. I've calculated. I've weighed it on the scales. I've considered He's saying this, folks, I've run up to the tower, I've gone up to the ramparts, and I've looked over and I've seen what's coming, and I can tell you this, no matter what's right here right now, it can in no way compare with the glory that shall be, not only revealed in the coming of the Lord, but revealed in me when the Lord gets here. Paul says, okay, I'm sick, but this sickness, the only sickness that can really destroy me is the sickness of sin, because the wages of sin, death, but Jesus died on the cross, so no sickness can take me down, I'm going to live forever. I may be in debt, and he was, but the only kind of debt that can kill me is the debt I had before God. But that debt's been taken care of by the cross of Jesus Christ. And besides, all the wealth I could possibly amass on this planet can in no way compare to the wealth I'm going to get when the glory of the Lord is revealed. So he says, it doesn't matter to me. He says, yeah, I I hurt. I've got a painful life, but I've gone up to the ramparts. I've gone up to the tower, and I've looked over the valley, and I've noticed the coming of the glory of the Lord. And when he comes, everything's going to be made right. You can clap at that. Have you seen the movie? Have you seen the movie, The Butler yet? Okay, you need to go see it. Pastor Jeff told you to go see it. Now, somebody said, Pastor Jeff, you won't like that movie, it's too slow. Now, what you don't understand is when you get older, you need things to slow down just a little bit (laughs) and not be so loud. But Forrest Whitaker is one of my favorite actors. Fantastic movie, and I just wanna, wanna say a few things to you, and you've gotta make sure that you listen well so that you make sure you understand what I'm saying. I like this movie. This movie traced the racism and the segregation of our country back from Lyndon Johnson and even earlier all the way to present day. Forrest Whitaker played the role of a butler in the White House. And so he sees it through the eyes of every president through generation after generation, through decade after decade. Forrest Whitaker plays this role so well. He has a son who's trying to fight segregation and racism. I like the movie because it reminded me of where we were as a nation and how far we've come. I'm not suggesting for a moment that racism is dead. If you think it is, you're living in a hole somewhere. It's still there, but we've come such a long way. And the last scene of the movie is when Forrest Whitaker, uh, his character is walking down the hallway. Now he's retired. He's in his 80s. He's leaving the White House, but his last act in the White House is to be escorted down the halls in order to meet the new president of the United States, Barack Obama. And I just wondered as I saw the movie, how much more courage, how much more, you know, perseverance, how much more passion would Forrest Whitaker's character have had if he could have early in those days of segregation and racism, gone up to the ramparts, gone up to the top of the tower, peered over the valley into the horizon and known one day our country's going to advance so much that we're actually going to have an African American president. How much courage would he have had? I'm sure in his life he thought that would never happen, and the tears rolled down his cheeks. Now, please don't put me in a position where you think I'm making political statements this morning. Don't do that to me. I want to tell you something else. There is a part of me, this is not, let me say it again, this is not a political statement. You hear me? But there is a part of me that when Barack Obama was elected president, that I was proud of America. I didn't say I agree with his politics. And I didn't say I'm a Democrat or a Republican. I'm just simply saying That there was a part of me that said, we've come far, that we would elect an African American president. Thank God we're getting rid of some of our racism. You understand what I'm saying? And I'm saying how much, look, who did this better? I love history. I love early church history. I love American history. I love world history. Who did this better? Who went to the top and looked out over the tower and the ramparts? Who did it better than anybody else in history so that he was able, able to stand strong and stand firm? I don't, I think you'll have a difficult argument saying anybody other than Martin Luther King Jr. Think about it. In spite of the hate and the animosity of others, in spite of assassination attempts on his life, in spite of continual threats on the lives of his family, in spite of the reality of his own death, I'm convinced if you go back and read some of those great speeches he made, he knew he would die before segregation and before racism died. He knew that he would not make it to see the glory and a matter of fact, in the last part of one of his more famous speeches, he says, well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, he says, but it really doesn't matter to me now because I've been to the mountaintop.
0: You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff.
1: See, the thing about this, Tim Keller says it this way, when difficult times come, this is your opportunity to turn your self-serving, exploitative relationship with God into real love. Because he says when darkness falls in your life, you're gonna discover whether you got in this relationship with God to serve Him or for Him to serve you. Will you still love Him, even when you feel like you're getting nothing from God?
0: You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me wanna dance and sing With every single breath I offering I will break this offering You are my wonder You make the wonder Today 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 With Jeff Vines This is a production by One and All Media For more, head to oneandall.media